Your night was fine. It was, really. You haven't actually been feeling that bad lately. You felt way worse, in fact. Being alive might actually be something you'd want to do someday. You don't remember when it became something that was hard. When did living become something that felt impossible to do? When did staying alive become such a burdensome chore? There is a knife and the cutting block on the counter. You've tried this before, with a bathtub and a stopper and some goodbye messages. You didn't post anything this time. It didn't even cross your mind as something to do, which is a worse sign than most people think it is. People with attachments leave letters. You didn't leave anything. You pick up the knife. How was this supposed to go again? It's not exactly a razor, although you sharpened it a while ago. You're standing there in the middle of your kitchen holding a knife you've used to cut up chicken breasts and steak cutlets, and on one occasion almost took your finger off by breaking up frozen potatoes. Isn't your hand supposed to be shaking for this? It is 2am with no lights on. Your parents are two rooms away, fast asleep with the dogs in the bed, cars being down the street outside. It is the middle of the night. You're standing there with the knife pressed to your skin and you have left no letters, and you have no future, and you have no worth. You put the knife back into the block. You go to your room, and you sit on your bed, and you take your earbuds out. And you left the hardest you have in a while. Three days before college orientation, my grandma talked me into driving her car down to the convenience store. She yelled at me to turn too early, I had never driven a car that big, I had no idea what I was doing, my dudes, I am a hazard to the entire road and should never be trusted with a giant metal hamster ball, or a moped, or a bicycle. My god, never trust me with a bicycle! Anyway, I lost control of the car, ripped up a stop sign and a wrought iron fence and some poor lady's flowers and knocked over a thousand pound stone monument and only stopped because the car ran over its own mutilated bumper three feet away from a tree so old God itself couldn't run it over. Too long, didn't listen, I almost killed us. I was so busy sitting there in the driver's seat, numb to the world, trying to process that I ran over a marble dedication to a fallen soldier, that I didn't realize until hours later that we'd almost died. Relief. Euphoria. Terror. Dread. Intense guilt because I destroyed thousands of dollars worth of property, including my grandparents' car? Whiplash. There's a feeling after a failed suicide attempt that hangs in the air and follows you around for days, weeks, months. That feeling is not the feeling I felt in that driver's seat. It's energetic and it's electric. It's dangerous. If you don't do anything with it, the energy can overtake you and cause you to cycle back into doing something destructive. You're supposed to draw or force yourself to cry, stomp to music, beat some drums, stay all night making something, sew, cook, dance. Never ever think. Never let yourself pause and process when you're in this state of pure energy. There is a cycle to these things. Imagine, imagine the uncanny valley graph with me here. I have a PowerPoint, I have a clicker, and I have a laser pointer that I want you to follow. Now, on the Uncanny Valley graph, there's a flat line, and then a hump, a large ditch, and then a larger hump and flat line on the opposite side. Good days are when you stay on the first straight line. Sometimes you might even rise up the hump, but you don't stay there. Best case scenario is you fall backwards. Sometimes you fall forwards, and it's harder to roll yourself back. Your momentum doesn't always carry you to the top of the hill, and it doesn't always carry you straight over. Think of a roller coaster getting trapped at the top of the highest hill and how disastrous it would be if the track broke and all of those people rolled backwards. And imagine how giddy and excited you feel when you're in the seconds before the cart rolls forward. Most people, I think, don't actually understand how hard it is to scale that hill. There is no easy choice in this scenario or any scenario. 
When your brain turns into the devil on your shoulder. When your brain wants to die, it takes a lot to talk it down. Because even getting to the commitment part of the cycle takes an incomprehensible amount of pressure. Once you're pushed up that hill, you're crashing either way. The only difference is where your momentum is going to take you. If you ignore it, that manic energy builds, and it builds, and it builds, and you sit and you think too long and you're going right back into that valley. And you might not come back out. If you're constructive, if you put it towards something, even if that something is having a physical breakdown, then you're more likely to ollie right back over the hill and back onto the flat line. Breaking that momentum takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice. It takes mental strength. It's the reason we don't put people on pills and set them loose into the world. The sudden upswing from depression to a normal energy level gives people this feeling, this intense energy, the same feeling you get after you sit up out of that bathtub, after you put the knife down, after you pour the pills down the toilet. But all the thoughts are still there. All the feelings and emotions that brought you to this place in the first place are still there inside your head. Without unlearning all of the ideas that made it impossible to live in the first place, there's no framework for this energy to be constructive. It propels them right over the hill, into the valley, and onto the other side, because the only thing stopping them was the lack of energy to do anything about it. It feels like you're trying to crawl out of your skin. It's not happiness. It's like a mirror universe's bastardization of joy. It's like ants are crawling all over your brain. You want to smile. You really want to smile, but in a deranged way that makes people lock their car doors and call their kids back home. You're alive. You're so alive, but you're not happy about it. Not being wrapped around that tree felt like cheating the universe. It felt like I had got one over on God for the first time in my entire life. Sitting up out of that bathtub felt a little bit like the universe was cheating me. Even if I sat up out of that bathtub under the power of my own spite, even if I was happy, even though I'm the one who decided to put the knife down, you laugh, and you revel in this feeling, and then that runs out. And then you cry, and then that runs out, because you can only cry so much before your body can't take it, and then the cycle continues. I went three years without a suicide attempt, and then it just happened, and I don't even know where it came from. That happens to a lot of people, and it feels like failure, but it's not. I don't think that anyone wants to die. Not really. I think it's easy to frame it that way. The suicidal person wants to die. They don't want to be here anymore. It's their fault for not wanting to be here. I think that's a dangerous way to frame it. I want to live. I've always wanted to live. Most days I actually want to be here. I've just had nights where I stopped believing that I could be here the next morning. If I didn't want to be alive, I wouldn't have been so excited about not being dead. I am a stubborn, bullheaded asshole. If I didn't want to live, I wouldn't be here. But that feeling can sometimes get addictive, and that's the real reason why it's so dangerous. The same feeling comes after cutting into your skin with a razor, depriving yourself of food, breaking your own fingers, and all other manner of self-harm. It's like a high, and that's why self-harm is addictive. Most people don't want to live like that, but the brain demands that feeling, and it gets harder and harder to reach it, and harder and harder to deny it. That energy comes from a horrible place, and it maintains itself at the same time. Self-harm isn't always born from wanting to die. Usually it's born from wanting to be alive, but not knowing how. And it continues because no one is prepared to feel that energy the first time they lash out at themselves. They think it's a real calmness, or it's real happiness, or that they deserve it, but it's just that part of the brain that thinks living is too hard. And it's wrong. The best way to talk about something in therapy is to name it. The thing is that this already has a name. Several names, in fact. There's suicidal ideation, when one wants to commit or idealizes suicide. There's depression, which is self-explanatory. There's a laundry list of words, but the general population doesn't use a single one of them to actually talk about it. So maybe it needs a new name. 
one with a different connotation to the romanticized capitalist version you see in movies. The one that refers to the tortured souls too dedicated to their art, or the star-crossed lovers expediting their reunions. For now, though, this is the only name we got. So I propose that we gather up all of the pop culture from the last 15 years that uses it incorrectly and dump it into a big pit. I propose that we start a conversation. One that goes beyond warning about the dangers of depression and bad influences. We need to actually talk about this cycle, about this feeling that tricks people into thinking that everything is okay when it isn't. We need to talk about self-harm and why it actually continues. And we need to talk to each other. Call your friends. Talk to your friend. Be close to the people that love and that love you. Just for a while. You don't know when they're going to be there. Or if they're going to be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm.